Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hey, would you guys welcome up my friend, Pastor Brady? Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Good morning. I, uh, I do appreciate the prayers in my city. I woke up this morning and here I'm, I'm out of town. And as a pastor, I've been there 15 years now in Colorado Springs. I just feel my heart pretty strong this morning. Uh, my heart's breaking for my own city. You know, I need to get back. I'll be back this afternoon and be uh, I'm sure we'll be, have lots of things to do this week to love those families and love the people that were hurt. So thank you for your prayers. We're going to need it this week. So it's good to be here. Thank you, Pastor Austin. Thank you, Katie. You guys, uh, I know you know this, but there's, there's a handful of really good shepherds. You can say they're hard to find. And you have a, a, a couple here that are shepherds of this house. And can we honor Pastor Austin, Pastor Katie? I, um, I'm not saying that just to be kind, although I am kind. <laughs> I mean that sincerely. I got to have dinner with them last night. We get to spend time together several times a year. Their heart for you, their heart for the city is just overflows every time I'm with them. They're pure hearted. They're hardworking. They're smart. They're capable. I just feel good. You're in good hands. That's the bottom line. You're in really good hands with them as your pastor. So I love you guys. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna, I, I plan this week to go into a gravy coma. At some point, <laughs> I mean, I'm from the South, so you know we uh, we eat a lot of gravy in the South. So that's it. this is the one time of year, like I can have some gravy. So I'm gonna do that on Thursday and have some turkey. So I hope you get to have some good time with your family and friends. So open up your Bible. Go to Nehemiah chapter six. If you can find Nehemiah in less than 30 seconds, you're going to heaven. <laughs> so go to the red letters. Take a left. You'll see the Psalms. Keep going. If you get to Ezra, you've gone too far, okay? Nehemiah chapter six. Now, let me just tell you real quickly about the story of Nehemiah. We're gonna talk about two men today, and we'll talk about distractions. That's the title of this message, is distractions. And we're gonna talk about two men in the Old Testament. We're gonna talk about Nehemiah, who was laser focused. And we're gonna talk about King David, who got off track. So I'm gonna show you these two stories today as a way maybe to recalibrate us, to recenter us, reorient us to what God's called. Now, before we start this, I want to remind everyone in the room and all of you watching online, and I don't know if you believe this or not, but I'm going to tell you the truth about yourself. You have an assignment, a calling, a purpose, a mission in your life. Do you agree with that? All, all of you. I heard like six amens. Now I want to, let me try that one more time. You, I'm, t I'm talking to you, have an assignment, a calling, a mission, a purpose for your life. You're not a cosmic mistake. You're not a holy accident. You are designed by God to be used by God for his kingdom, his glory, his purposes. Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay, if that's true, and it is, if I were the enemy, I would do everything in my strength to distract you from that calling. Because if you ever got dialed in, if you ever got laser focused on what God's called you to do, I, I suspect the Spirit of God would flow through your life and you would do some damage to the kingdom of darkness. And I, 
if I were the enemy, I would try to constantly keep you distracted. So let me show you this in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, when the, when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now leave that up just for a moment. Nehemiah had been called to leave the celestial palace where he was working. He traveled a thousand miles to Jerusalem because he heard that the walls were torn down and the city was in disrepair and the people who were living there were in great danger. And it says that he sat and wept for many days. I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your life where God came to you and gave you an assignment where you, could, you mourned and wept and grieved over it for days. That's what happened to Nehemiah. So he shows up in this city and he says, this group of people come to him and say, hey, come, let's go to the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, I was just in Israel and the plain of Ono is in the middle of nowhere. You don't, you don't stop there, you drive through. It's like Pueblo, okay? You don't stop there. You just keep driving. All right, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend the Pueblans. Pueblites, sorry about that. All right, let's keep going before I get in trouble. He says, but they were scheming to harm me. Let's stop here for a moment. Now, Nehemiah simply got an invitation to go meet with some people. But he says, they were scheming to harm me. Now, how did he know that? Listen, you know what my greatest concern for the church in America is right now? It's a concern for my church, all the church, is that we've lost our ability to discern. Listen to Nehemiah. Ne the reason Nehemiah was not easily distracted is because he had the ability to discern good versus evil, wise versus foolish. Write those two things down. This is what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. He will give you the ability to discern between good and evil and wise and foolish. And Nehemiah had the ability at this point to realize they're trying to harm me. And he says, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. He says, why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? And listen to this, four times they sent the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Listen, your enemy is persistent. Four times they came to him. Your enemy is persistent. Your enemy is consistent. Your enemy is going to come and try to distract you every single day from your assignment. Now, I want you to write this definition down. This is my definition. It's, it's copyrighted. I'm joking. You can write it down and share it. You can steal it if you want to. But th this is my definition of distractions. Distractions are false priorities that appear urgent. Now, how many of you have had that this morning, right? You got distracted. The enemy's trying to keep you away from church, trying to keep you away from the body of Christ. And these are false priorities. It seems important. It seems urgent. Come with me right now. Come meet with me right now. And Nehemiah had the discernment to say, I'm not going out there. I have work to do right here. So when I woke up this morning, and really for the last several years, I've been asking myself this question. I'm 55 years old. I know that's shocking to many of you because I've aged well like fine wine. I know that. I appreciate you. I see the startled look on your face. There's no way that guy is 55, but I am. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I'm middle-aged. I'm at halftime. You know what you do at halftime? At halftime, you make adjustments. 
And for the last several years, I've been going through this process in my life of asking myself two questions every morning. This morning, I got up, I'm thinking about these two questions. And I want you to start asking yourself these two questions. And it's best to do it at the beginning of every day. Here's question number one. What am I supposed to do today? Now, the question is, what are you supposed to do that only you can do? Because that is a clue to your calling. What is it? Some of you have kids at home. You've decided to stay home and raise your children. Listen, that's your assignment. And it's going to go on for the next 18 to 22 years. It's pretty clear what you're supposed to do. This past year, both of my children, Abram is with me today. He just graduated college. Very proud of him. He graduated with honors and got his first real job and moved out. I'm really glad about that. Moved into a house of his own. Uh, his sister, my 22-year-old daughter, graduated college, or is going to graduate college next month, and she moved in with him. And so my wife and I are empty nesters, and it's pretty awesome. I'm just going to tell you that. But you know what happened is my assignment is changing right now. Like, they're grown-ups. They don't need Dad to help them with clothes and going, you know, bags of lunch at school. And they're past all that. So I'm in this time of my life where I'm really asking myself this question because my assignment just changed. They're on their own. They're independent. They're doing great. They love Jesus. They got jobs. They got all their teeth. They're doing great. Awesome. <laughs> so what am I supposed to do today that only I can do? And then here's the second question. What's keeping me from doing it? What is standing in the way of me doing that thing? These are questions that every Christ follower should get into a habit of asking. And it's possible that the reason you're not engaged with the work that God's called you to engage in is because we are distracted somehow doing less important things. God's got important things for you to do, and the enemy wants you to focus on the less important. God wants you to be focused on the most important assignment. So let me show you this, this story now in 2 Samuel. Go to 2 Samuel. It's, it's pretty close to where you were just a minute ago. 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want to show you the story of a distracted king. Now, King David, if you're new to the Bible, if you don't know the Bible story, of all of the iconic figures in the history of Israel, King David would be on the Mount Rushmore of Jewish leaders, right? Abraham... Maybe, maybe uh, uh, David, uh, some others would be there, but th those two guys would be on there. King David was the warrior king. As a young boy, he was anointed as king, went and destroyed Goliath, became the preeminent ruler of his nation. He kept his country safe for decades. He expanded the kingdom, kept his people safe, provided for the flourishing of his people in a remarkable way for many, many, many years. And then we come to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And this is one of the most sobering passages of Scripture in the history of King David. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. Now let's just stop just for a moment. This is the ultimate distraction. David was responsible for the army. Every spring for 20 years before this, David was the one that led his army out to destroy the enemies of Israel. It was David was the one that patrolled the borders of his nation. But on this particular day, on this particular year, something was going on in the heart of David and he stayed home. Instead of doing what only he could do, he stayed home and did less important things. 
piddled around the house. My dad used to call it that, piddling around the house, doing things that weren't that important. Listen to this. He sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed. Now, notice here that he can't sleep. I'm, I'm, this, is a, this is totally free of charge, what I'm about to say, okay? Do you know why uh, most people have a hard time going to sleep at night? Because they're not tired. You know why they're not tired? Because they're not working very hard. I don't have any trouble sleeping. Six out of seven nights a week, I fall into my bed into a deep coma because I work hard all day. I, I earn my sleep. And I'm, I'm concerned that we have a generation of people that doesn't know what it means to work eight hours, nine hours, come home, take a hot shower, and go to bed. And the reason you go to bed, it's very simple, because you're tired from doing what God's called you to do. And you sleep a deep sleep, and you wake up the next morning full of life and energy that God gives you during your sleep because you worked hard the day before Listen, this is what happened. David hadn't done anything all day. David had done nothing all day long. And then he tries to go to sleep and he gets up. And it says, and he walked around on the roof of the palace and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Now listen to this next, listen to the, the verbs. Listen to the verbs that I'm about to use here. He says, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her. By the way, she had no choice in the matter. If you think that Bathsheba had the ability to say, no, here, you're wrong. Bathsheba is a victim. She's about to be assaulted. She's about to be victimized. She didn't have, you don't say no to the king. Even if you are a married woman, if the king sends for you, you come to the king. And that was understood. So Bathsheba sent messengers to get her. And she came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself. Anyway, then she went back home. Listen, this is a, this is a horrific story of, of an assault in the Bible from a man who knew better. What in the world, listen, let me ask you a question. What in the world is going on with King David here? He knows better than this. This is not the man that we're introduced to. This is not the guy taking care of his father's sheep on the backside of the desert writing worship songs. This is not the guy who was pure-hearted, who was able to destroy Goliath because he was a man full of faith. What happened? I wrote this down the other day. I was thinking about the story. I said, as a young man, he was far more interested in the invisible God than the visible giant. That's why he was able to charge toward Goliath. He had, a, he was, had an enormous heart for God. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. And he charged toward Goliath because he was full of faith. But something happened as he became older. As an older man, he was more fascinated with the beauty, the visible beauty of a woman than the beauty of God. Something has switched in David's heart. You know what happened? He got distracted. And do you know what the enemy really wants to distract you from? He wants to distract you from the goodness and the grace of God. Listen, you know why you gathered in here this morning and sang songs together? It's to, it's to drive away the distractions this morning. That's what was happening in the room. You know, that in the spiritual realm, you know what was happening in the room this morning? We, we got reset back to our factory settings this morning. 
I love doing that at home, the electronics. Let reset them to the factory settings. Everything goes back to normal because I had it all messed up. I'm trying to do everything on my own, got all the, all the things messed up. This morning, what happened is we all walked in the room. We've been wildly distracted all week long. We've had a thousand things trying to get our attention off of God this week. But we walked into this room and we sang the same song. I noticed that all of you were singing the same song. Some of you weren't singing one song and another group singing another. So we brought ourselves into unity with one another. You, you begin to collectively worship the, the one true God and something happens in your heart when you gather with the people of God in unity, in worship. You, but your eyes get fixed back on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And all of the distractions of the week get flushed out. Listen to this language here, okay? David said he saw her, he sent for her, and he got her. Notice that the, the language there of taking. He took something. He pursued something. Listen, this is what happens. We know we are distracted the moment we become takers and not servants. Listen, this is the great challenge for me at 55 years old because I have more time on my hands than I've had in a while. I don't have toddlers running around the house. Actually, I can sleep late if I want to. The other morning, I slept till 8, 8 a.m. I couldn't believe it. But I don't have toddlers. I don't have little, little kids waking me up on Saturday morning. They're gone. The house, I have two cats, and they sleep all the time. So I, I, can, I got nap. I can take a nap. I can, uh, I'm on, I can make my own schedule now. My kids don't depend on me for anything except money. And that's it. That's all. I, they don't need me the way they used to need me. And listen, I... I'm very concerned about myself right now that I might get bored. And this is what happened with David. He was bored and he started playing it safe. And that's the most dangerous place for any of us in this room. So I have a question for you. And all the 50 plus crowd, look at me. I know I see the various generations in the room today. I love that. I love that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can all be in the same room. I love the multiple generations. I don't think you have gray hair. I think it's chrome. Looks like, looks like wisdom and experience to me. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Are you as excited about following Jesus now in your 50s, 60s, and 70s as you were in your 20s and 30s? This is the question I'm asking me. Because I started out with my hair on fire. I was willing to charge hell with a water pistol. I mean, I, I, I had that fire inside of me. And my concern now is I'm 55 years old. I have more money than I had when I was 25. I have more, a lot more wisdom. I have more body mass. This is not a dad bod, it's a father figure, by the way. <laughs> I'm concerned for the generation in their 50s, 60s, and 70s that we might start playing it safe when the church doesn't need us to play it safe. Actually, the church is in desperate need right now of mothers and fathers, more than any other time. And we have a lack of spiritual parenting in the church right now. A recent Barna study just came out. You know the, de the decade of people that are leaving the church faster than any other decade? Most people would say, ah, oh, the 20-year-olds are leaving. Nope. Actually, the 20-year-olds are pretty fascinated by Jesus. The 20-year-olds are not leaving the church in the vast numbers that you think. You know the decade of people that are leaving the church faster than any other decade? 50s and 60s. What happens is you raise your children, you check that box, and you start doing stuff other than the church other than following Jesus. You start taking trips, and there's nothing wrong with trips. 
I'm just saying, listen, I'm going to end my life hungry for Jesus because that's how I started my life. I want to end better than I started. I want to keep my focus in these last years, as many years as God gives me. Whatever years I have left, I am determined not to be distracted. I want to encourage all of my fellow 50-year-olds. I'm going to be in your club soon, all the 60 and 70-year-olds. Stay focused on the person of Jesus. Find a group of young men and women and love them and mentor them, cover them, pray for them, feed them. Listen, they'll come to your house if there's food. I promise you, my house, anytime I open up my Traeger and put a big slab of pork on it and announce it to a group of college and 20-somethings, my house is full. They'll come. They, I promise you, and, and over food, over in your hospitality, their hearts will open up to you. Their hearts are open. If you feed them and love them and care about them, their hearts come open. They'll ask you questions. It doesn't have to be manufactured. It can be organic. But our spiritual senses are sharpest when we're in the game. Listen, Good Shepherd Church, you have an assignment in this part of Colorado and around the world. And listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but our world kind of looks like Jerusalem. The walls are broken down. The gates have been set on fire. There's destruction everywhere. I woke up this morning in my own city. Five dead, 18 wounded. You know what that tells me? My walls are broken down. There's violence in my city, and our, our city is kind of known for violent acts. It happened at my church 15 years ago. 15 years ago next week, Two of my girls were killed in my parking lot by violence. I know I have an assignment. I, I follow the Prince of Peace. I'm the carrier of his grace into my city. And I'm, I'm going back there this afternoon, sad, brokenhearted, but I'm going back laser focused. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. All that did, all the enemy did was stir up a waking, a sleeping giant. The church will rise up. My church will rise up. The church will rise up and surround those families and care for them and love them and bless them and do their funerals and take care of their kids. We know what to do, don't we, church? And so the enemy comes to distract us, but God has come this morning to reorient us, to, to show us again the assignment that's right in front of us. Jesus uh, had to deal with distractions. I'm going to end with this story. John chapter 5, I love this passage of Scripture because Jesus was always being said, hey, come over here. Jesus, come do this. Jesus, be our king. Jesus, be our warrior, ruler. And Jesus says, hold on, let me stop. Let me tell you what my assignment is. And he does this here in John chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Jesus gave them this answer very truly. By the way, you know when he says very truly, you know what's coming next? A lot of truth. <laughs> That's a dad joke, right? Very truly. I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. Let's just stop just for a moment. If that's true about Jesus, it should be true about his people, right? Jesus said, I don't do anything by myself. He says, Jesus only does what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does. All right, so I'm going to give you really some practical things this morning. If, you're, if you walk into the room and you're feeling disoriented, feeling distracted, I'm going to give you a couple of ways to pray, pray your way through that. So how do we keep focus? How do I keep focus? Let me give you some questions. How do we keep focus? 
when I woke up this morning, I prayed this prayer, Father in heaven, what are you up to today? And how can I be a part of it? Now listen, let me, this is how most Christians pray like this, if they pray at all. Lord, I got all this stuff today. Would you bless all this stuff? Now listen, that's no, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, help me today do this. Help me with this today. Help me with all that. But that's an incomplete prayer. It's a good start. It's just not a full prayer. It's okay to pray through your list. But before you say amen, ask the Lord, Father in heaven, what are you doing in my world today? You know, you can't fix everything in the world. You can't fix Ukraine. You can't fix stuff like that. But you know, what about your neighborhood? What about the schools where your kids attend? What about the job that God's called you to? What about the school, the classroom where you are today? Wherever you are, that's where God's called you. And so I woke up this morning and said, Father in heaven, what's going on at Good Shepherd Church today? I asked that this morning. I'm going to be at Good Shepherd Church today with my friends. I'm going to be with Austin and Katie today. What's going on in their world? What are you up to at Good Shepherd? And how can I be a part of it today? I want to be a blessing. I came today not to take something from you. I came today to give something. I came today to participate in what God's doing here. That's, that's the frame and the focus you need to wake up with every morning. Father in heaven, I don't know what's going on in the houses around me. Father in heaven, I don't know what's happening, but I want to be a part of what you're up to. So I said this the other day, and a young leader said to me, Pastor Brady, I've been praying that prayer, and heaven seems silent. I'm not hearing anything. So I said to him, when heaven seems silent, do what the scriptures have already told us. Okay, listen very carefully. Here's what the Bible has already told you to do. And it's non-negotiable and it's never going to change. It's, this is, what I'm about to tell you will never change until Christ comes back. You, already, you, should be, you should be very clear about your assignment. The Bible has told us to love our neighbor. So, well, Pastor Brady, who's my neighbor? Is it the person living next to me? Maybe. That's a, that's a classic definition, but not a complete definition. You know who your neighbor is? Please don't ever forget what I'm about to tell you, okay? Because I tell my staff, I tell my church this a thousand times a year. You know who your neighbor is? Whoever is standing in front of you that day. You know how many random interactions you have every single day with people? That's your neighbor. On that day, in that moment, at that time, whoever is standing in front of you is your assignment. So bless them. Speak life over them. Encourage them. You know how many people are walking around just wildly discouraged right now? The Bible says, above all the spiritual gifts that you can ask for, prophesy. Prophesy. What is prophecy? Encouragement and strength and comfort. Encourage people. Strengthen them and comfort them. And here's the second thing. Take care of widows and orphans. James 1.27 says, Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this. If you want to be pure and undefiled, take care of widows and orphans in their distress. Keep your heart unspotted from the world. In New Life Church, several years ago, we went through a dark season at our church, those first few years I was there. And I was so hungry for God to speak to me about the direction of the church. I said, Brady, I've already told you what to do. Take care of widows and orphans. Take care of the, the, those who have been marginalized in your, in your city. So I found out that a couple of thousand women in El Paso County every single night, think about this, 2,000 
at least that we know of, 2,000 moms and dads will go to bed tonight in El Paso County on a cold night like tonight with their kids in their car, homeless. That's in El Paso County. I guarantee you in your county, the number is probably pretty similar. In all the public parks around here, around 11 p.m. tonight, there'll be a lot of single moms curled up in the back seat of their car with their kiddos. That's happening in your town. I can guarantee it. I knew that and when I heard it, my heart broke. And so I, I, by faith, we bought an apartment complex, paid cash for it, renovated it. I have since bought properties all over that neighborhood with cash, bought all of them with cash. And tonight, scores of women with their kids are going to bed in safe housing that our church has provided. And I knew it was an assignment from the Lord. Not because I got some angelic visitation in the middle of the night. It's because I believe James 1.27. Take care of widows. Take care of orphans. You know what happened? I've never had to beg for money for any of those projects. I've never had to beg for money. God just keeps giving me money. People keep blessing us. He keeps blessing our church. He keeps blessing me. Listen, Good Shepherd Church, you have an assignment. Love your neighbor. Take care of widows and orphans. And I can promise you this. The blessing of the Lord will always be on this house. Always be on your house when you take care of those who have been marginalized. That's our assignment. Let's not get distracted. Let's not let, fix your eyes on the assignment that's in front of you. Can I pray for you? In just a moment, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. We're going to take, I know your pastor's going to come up, Pastor Austin. But I can't think of a better way to refocus ourselves than by taking the body and the blood of Jesus, of coming to the table and sitting down with Jesus today and taking a meal that he asked us to take together. Let's pray together. Father, help us to stay focused, dialed in. Lord, we come to the table of the Lord today and we ask, oh God, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to believe. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus right now. Lord, you need a church that's not distracted. You need a church that's committed to the assignment. And we bless you. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing on this house. I thank you for the work you're doing at Good Shepherd. I pray blessings and strength over this church. I pray an increased anointing on the church to reach those who don't know you. I pray that disciples will be formed and shaped in this church. And Lord, that this church is going to be a light in the dark world. And I pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.